Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the May nineteenth episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses, and you can subscribe to our newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Our poet guest of the week is Francisco Torres, who will be discussing with me his poem "Pain Don't Have an Age." And my poem, "The State of Being." Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the valley during the week of May 20th. On Monday, May 20th, from 5 to 10 p.m., Savannah Lutman and Phoenix Firebird Events will be hosting the last of its Forever Firebird Charity Open Mic series. As the previous four weeks, this event will be benefiting a specific nonprofit. And this will be taking place at Thirst Space, which is at 1028 Grand Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic is between 3 and 6:30 p.m. On Tuesday, 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 8 to 11 p.m. Ken Kong will be hosting his weekly The Underground Experience, which will be at 2601 on Central, the address of which is 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7:30 p.m. On Wednesday, May 22nd, from 7:30 to 9 p.m., Lacuna Cavabar will be hosting his weekly open mic at 831 North Third Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. On Thursday, May 23rd, from 4:30 to 5:30 p.m., Rosemary Dombrowski and Shante O'Ryan will be hosting a Phoenix Fan Fusion Poetry Open Mic as part of Phoenix Fan Fusion Conference. This will be taking place at 224 AB North at the Phoenix Convention Center, which is at 100 North Third Street in Phoenix. From 5 p.m., Dog Year Pages Used Books will be hosting its monthly open mic, arts, letters, and cultural event, at 16428 North 32nd Street, Suite 111 in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Long Noon Publishing will be hosting its weekly Phoenix Poetry Slam at the Lost Leave, at 914 North 5th Street in Phoenix. Make sure to get there by 6:50 to participate. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quentin Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic at Joe Bot Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7:30. On Friday, May 24th, from 7:30 to 9 p.m., Erin Kong will be launching her book Korean Morning Rituals. Where she will be reading, along with previous poets and muses guests Sean Avery and Anna Flores, this will be taking place at Palabras Bilingual Bookstore, which is at 1738 East McDowell Road in Phoenix. From 5 to 10 p.m., Sozo Coffee House will be hosting an open mic night at 1982 North Alma School Road in Chandler. On Saturday, May 25th, from 7 to 11 p.m., 30 Spice, or simply Damon, 
will be hosting his narrative, A Night of Storytelling and Spoken Word. Among its feature artists will be Sean Avery, Anna Flores, as well as myself. This will be taking place at 2123 East Weldon Avenue in Phoenix. From 7.30 to 9.30 p.m., Phoenix Comic-Con Nerd Poetry Slam will be hosting the 2019 Phoenix Fan Fusion Nerd Slam at Square Egg Entertainment, which is at 4640 East Elwood Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. On Sunday, May 26th, from 6 to 8.30 p.m., Ashy International will be hosting its Wading Through Muddy Waters, A Journey of Mental Health Open Mic at Palabras Bilingual Bookstore at 1738 East McDowell Road in Phoenix. If you would like to get on the mic for this event, make sure to email articulatingashy at gmail.com. Again, that email is articulatingashy at gmail.com. Ashi is spelled A-S-H-E. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Francisco Torres. Hi, Francisco. Thank you very much for coming on to Poet and Muses. Thank you for having me. Of course. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Francisco Torres, 26 years old. My biggest fear in life was living mm-hmm. due to that I was barely even existing. Mm-hmm. You're probably asking yourself, what do I mean by that? Or what makes me even say that? Well, I've suffered epilepsy my whole life. In case you don't know or never heard of it, epilepsy is a neurological disorder marked by sudden episodes of sensory disturbance, loss of consciousness or convulsions associated with abnormal electrical activity in the brain, mm-hmm. pretty much known as seizures. Mm-hmm. They can come from either side of the brain, left or right, but mine will come from the left side. Okay. Do you know if there's a difference or in causes of why it comes from the left or the right? Well, they could come like different nerves of the brain. Okay. okay. Yeah, mine was from my temporal lobe. Okay. Okay. Thank you for telling us about that, but what made you go into poetry? Well, I started doing poetry my sophomore year in high school. Okay. I had an assignment where we had to use a figurative language. Mm -hmm. We had a whole week to write a one-page essay Mm -hmm. or a five-page poem. Okay. And, well, I didn't do nothing. (laughs) <laughs> so I was last minute in class just writing without even thinking, like, I can't do a five-page essay. Mm-hmm. So I just started writing and writing. I wrote a, my first poem. Mm-hmm. It was about love. Mm-hmm. And my teacher thought I actually did poetry because like, she liked it. We had to oh, use creative okay. language. Right. And I never even knew what poetry was. Mm-hmm. And ever since that day, I just kept writing and writing. Okay, cool. That's great. I met you at the Phoenix Poetry Slam. Have you been doing other open mics or just no, that it's one? No, just that one. Okay, so you started doing that pretty recently. Yes, yeah. and my junior year I had an English teacher and she also did poetry. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that told me about the poetry slams oh, great. that go on around here. And she would always tell me she's going to take me that she wasn't supposed to be telling me about this. Mm-hmm. But we never got to go and I just searched them up myself. Okay. Well, it's really brave of you, because correct me if I'm wrong, I thought sometimes nervousness, pressure also induces seizures. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, it must be tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because uh, slam is it's very competitive. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, now I still get nervous at times, but compared to the first time I ever did it, mm-hmm. nothing similar. 
Yeah, and that was only a few months back. Yeah. So yeah, you're getting used to it. Then. Yes, I am. Cool, cool. Um, and you brought with you today the poem, Pain Don't Have an Age? Yes. Okay, would you like to read that for us? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Pain doesn't have an age. This kid is only five years old, and he's already in pain. He is having a seizure. He has many in just one day. He could be feeling happy, or he could be feeling bad. His seizures come at any time. And then they make him sad. They make him feel so tired. They make him feel so ill. They make him feel so lost and scared that he even loses his will. The medication he is on even takes his character away. They strip his soul and his spirit even goes blank. Like really, is this the price a five-year-old has to pay? He would go some days without a seizure that you would even see him smile. And his world seemed like a brighter place. Mama, now can I go outside and play? is all he would say. But them seizures would creep back up that he would just see that smile drop from his face. Yes, this is epilepsy, you see. But who is this kid? What's his name? Where does he live? His name was, it was me. Thank you, I really appreciate that. I always appreciate it when poets actually could remember all of their lines. I'm terrible at that myself, so. It gives you an idea what the poem is about, but can you tell us how you came to write this? Well, I've always liked rap music mm -hmm. from the 90s, and there's this rapper, the one that inspired me to write about my life. His name is Tupac. Oh, yeah. He was known as Tupac, and he always wrote about his life, what he had to live through, go through, and mm -hmm. I just got the idea from him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you take from your own life, basically, yes. your poetry. Yeah. I think a lot of poets can understand writing from one's own life. And I've heard several of your poems talk about epilepsy. Can you tell me how this one is different from the other ones that you've written? Well, this one is the only difference. It's talking about how a kid who's five years old who, you know, at that age are usually running and playing outside, doing things they're not supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And, well, I didn't get to do that. Mm -hmm. All I knew at that age was drink your medication, mm -hmm. drink your medication. Every morning all I heard was drink your medication. At mm -hmm. night, again, drink your medication. Mm -hmm. All I wanted to hear was a good morning or a good night, but never did I hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must be really tough yeah. to be a kid and not be able to do what kids want to do. Exactly. Yeah. Did you have to limit your, I guess, playtime and limit your activities? What, what was it like? being a kid with a well, five-year-old. Yeah, well, like when I was at school, I would be sitting on the bench during recess. Mm. You know, I was just right there watching them play, running back and forth, playing tag, swinging on the swings, and going up and down the slide. Mm. And there I was just sitting on the bench watching them play. I was even afraid of getting up and grabbing the ball when it would come only my way. Oh. Because all I had in my mind was, if I get up, I can have a seizure and bust my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. So it's not only just your parents who are always reminding you to be careful, but you also was kind of afraid what might happen, right, yes. if you just enjoyed yourself. Yeah, and that's all I had in mind 24-7, like, I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get sick. Mm -hmm. And when did you start managing it so that, you know, you can do more things? Just recently, just like about a year ago. Wow, really? Yeah. Does the medication change? or was Well, I'm actually out? off medication okay. after 21 years. Wow. The thing was that I always let my seizures beat me. Mm. And what do you mean by that? 
I was never able to leave the house without having in my mind, oh, I'm going to get sick. No, I'm like, oh, I don't want to go because I'm going to get sick and I'm going to ruin everybody's day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I learned that the only way for me to beat it was to learn how to accept it. Right. And, you know, it took me 21 years to realize that. Mm-hmm. That's how long I suffered epilepsy. But now that I'm seizure-free, off medications, I leave the house, drive with no worries at all, like before. Yeah. No matter where I was at, who I was with, all I had in my mind was hopefully I don't get sick, hopefully I don't have a seizure. Mm-hmm. So that sort of anxiety about your own illness yes. actually made it worse. Yes. Okay. It did. Okay. And another thing was I can't be inside the house or in my room because while I was in there, that's all I was reminiscing, mm-hmm. everything I had mm-hmm. to go through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same when you're going through pain, right? Any other pain, yes. mental pain or other pain, if you're not doing anything to distract yourself, that's all you think about, and it goes into a loop, basically. And everybody would be like, nah, you just don't like being home. And it's, they just never knew about it. That It wasn't that I don't like being home. It's just that the moment I was right there in my room that I would close my eyes, I would see myself when they had me laying in that white bed that I was with no strength at all. Mm-hmm. I would see people in white suits or the doctors. They were running back and forth trying to save a life. They were asking me, what's your name? Are you okay? Do you take medications? I would have the answer on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. But these seizures would have me so unconscious that I couldn't even respond. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's really terrible. Yes. And what made you decide to go off medication? Well, I just went through brain surgery a year ago. Oh, okay. They removed my left temporal lobe. Okay. Nerve, and um, <clears throat> that's where my seizures were coming from, and it's been a year already, and I'm also off medications, and it was just hard. The reason they took me off medication, because I've only had one seizure so far after oh, my brain good. surgery, yeah. when I would usually have three, four in one day or in a week. Wow. There times I could have up to six seizures in just one day. You just never know. Wow. And well, when after my surgery, I had, well, I had to stop working due to my seizures because mm-hmm. it was actually rare for me to even get a complete check and it was unsafe for me to work because I would just run. I was working at a warehouse and I would run to my uncles and we were on the forklift. Mm-hmm. And it came too many times for them running me over. And the boss, he's known me since I was small. My mm-hmm. dad used to work there too. And right. So he would always tell me, if you don't feel good, don't come to work. Right until the day that he just saw they almost ran me over many times. Right. And he told me to apply for disability. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's a long process and nothing there. Could take yeah. months, years. Yeah. You know, in my case, it took three years. And wow. it was just hard for me to even get a complete check when I was working because mm-hmm. all those times I only would work one day a week or three days a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really tough when it's so debilitating. Yeah. And especially since you have these dual impulses, one is that you want to rest and make sure you're okay, and the other one is that you want to get away from thinking about it all the time, yeah. right? So, yeah. You said that it took you three years to just obtain this ability, and that's after you became an adult or before that? That was after. Okay. My mom had actually applied for me for disability when I was small, and they've always denied me. Wow. And same thing with this one. I got denied, so I had to get a lawyer. Jeez. And while I was waiting for that disability case to run, I decided to go back to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was studying criminal justice at Carrington College. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a probation officer for juveniles to set my life as an example for them. Mm-hmm. That me who has wanted to do so many things in life but has had to help myself back. 
yeah. due to my seizures. Yeah. And then they live a regular life that prefer to be out in the streets, tagging, stealing, and shooting. But for what? Right. Uh, it's not worth it. And things didn't really go as planned with criminal justice. I was three months away from graduating when I get a notice that I had been dropped from class due to attendance. Uh -huh. They wanted me to let them know a day prior if I was going to miss class. And I was like, really? My seizures are unpredictable. Right. Uh, I can't call and say I might have a seizure tomorrow at 7 a.m. while I'm getting ready. Right. You know, as a matter of fact, I could be here right now and just collapse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they just didn't know what to say. They witnessed me having seizures in class. I took them doctor letters, medical records, but you just never beat them. Right. Now that you're much better, do you plan to go back to school or go to another school? Honestly, no. I'm not planning on going back to school. I'd rather just my goal is to volunteer at like rehab homes, juvenile mm -hmm. centers, yeah. and go tell my life story to them, set my life as an example for them, be an inspiration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Have you started doing that now? No, I actually have this. There's a rehab home right there by my mom's house, and they do a car wash every weekend. And there's mm -hmm. been times where I take my car to get washed right there. I talk to the owner, and I have this email that's on draft that I was going to send to him, telling him what I want to do, what getting advice from him, and mm -hmm. but I was just too nervous to do it. No, you should, you should. I think it's a great idea. It's good to be able to tell people what you went through and how now that you've overcome this, you should definitely help others, especially since you already want to do it. Yes. Send it out. I mean, what's the worst they could say, right? No, yeah. right? That's, that's it. Yeah, you're right on that. What inspired me to do that is because, like, my family history, mm -hmm. it's right. all just pure criminal. Um. My whole family, where I could tell you that 99% of my cousins are behind bars. Um. And I would always tell them, like, what are you doing that for? It's not worth it. Look at me. I want to do so many things, but mm -hmm. I can't. And you that can, you decide to be doing things you're not supposed to and look where you're at now. What do they say? And they just shake their head. They can't do nothing. They're already behind bars. Right, right. It is tough. Once you're in it, okay, yeah. it's harder to get out of it. But. Yeah, it is. And, you know, due to that family history, they even have me in the system. Mm -hmm. Due to just for the last name. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, good thing is Torres is a pretty common last name, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not... As bad as if you had a very, very, you know. Yeah, they had me, they had me that I'm, uh, I'm gang related. Mm -hmm. But what they don't know is I got better things to worry about my health mm -hmm. than to being in gangs. Right, right, yeah. There's, I mean, especially now that you finally got a new lease on life. Why would you do that, right? Yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you end up getting the surgery since you were denied? Disability. Well, actually, the brain surgery, they offered it to me back in 2010. Mm -hmm. And the doctor I had, the neurologist I had at that moment that told me about it, that's where they found out that my seizures were coming from the left side of my brain. Mm -hmm. And he told me that if I do the brain surgery, that there's a 75% chance something can go wrong. Mm -hmm. I could stay blind, handicapped, or die. Mm -hmm. And, well, that was a high percentage. And so mm -hmm. I went and got a second advice. And... The doctor said it the opposite. He said 75% chance everything can go good, but yeah, I could still stay blind, handicapped, or die. Right. And I didn't know who to listen to, so I said no. Mm. And last year, when I, I got this new neurologist, and last year that I did, did the brain surgery, I wasn't scared at all. At all. I was just ready for it. What happened? What was going to happen? It was going to happen, but mm. I was just ready to start a new life because I was just tired of it. Right. 
Right. So that was 2010 that you got the first offer. And then last year it was 2017, 2018? 2018. So what was it that changed your mind? Was there a specific incident or are you just... Well, I was just tired of this life. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to live a regular life. Right. Which was always my top goal. You know, I didn't want no money, no mansion or nothing. All I wanted to be was seizure free. Right. Did the chances improve? I mean, I imagine between the eight years, it might have gotten better, hopefully. Yeah, well, you know, technology is up higher now, but in reality, I didn't even pay attention to that. Right. I was just ready to to accept whatever came. Okay. okay. So was it an experimental program that you were in? No. no. Okay. So no, it was just, they did it at St. Joe's <laughs> Hospital, okay. and they've always done these surgeries, but before they would open up your whole head all around mm. and now due to technology and everything they only open like an inch oh that's good yeah yeah that makes the recovery process much easier yes, right? it yeah. good i'm really glad that you're able to overcome this and it seems to be going well and now you're even performing your poetry yes. uh, which is great and you can tell your story to people and let them know what's happened to you in terms of your poetry what else are you doing not necessarily out there talking, but are you going to poetry workshops or do anything in terms of just writing more? Well, I have a lot of poems that I haven't read to people. Mm -hmm. I actually have a binder full of poems, mm -hmm. but a lot of people do tell me to publish my poems. I'm actually in an epilepsy group on Facebook, uh -huh. and I be posting my poems there, and it's just pure people that suffer the epilepsy that know what we're going through. Right. What's the name of the page? Epilepsy Foundation. Epilepsy Foundation on yes. Facebook. Okay. Yes, and that's where I'd be posting most of my poems at because, you know, it's people who can relate to me. Right, right. And people think they know what epilepsy is because they have somebody or they know somebody that has it, but it's not the same thing seeing it as right. actually living it. Right, yeah. And, and they always tell me to publish my poems and I'm, oh, I would love to publish them, but it's all money. There are a lot of magazines and poetry reviews where it's free to submit and you can. There's a organization, it's called Poets and Writers. And yeah, if you go to them, basically they have an entire list of all the publications that's been certified by them. They list published writers and published poets as well. So if you go to their website, if you Google Poets and Writers, they have entire resources list of which publications to send your poetry to. And a lot of them are free to submit. Many contests do require you to pay to submit, but in terms of just publication, a lot of magazines and reviews, local as well as national and international, that are free to submit. Okay. So you Take should, a look at that. Yeah, you should definitely check that out. And another thing would be a good resource is to go to poetry writing workshops and those people would know good resources where you can submit your poetry as well. Okay, yeah, I'll take a look. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Since now you're able to do those things and you have the talent to do it and people are encouraging you to publish, you should check that out. It's definitely good to be able to tell your story about what's going on and have your perspective on your illness. And who the person who inspired me to do this to his name is Inky Johnson. Okay. He was a college football player, pretty much already in the NFL. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he had an accident. He broke his arm. He can't even use his arm no more. Mm -hmm. And I was watching videos of him, and 
he uses his life of not having an arm mm-hmm. as an inspiration for others. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could do the exact same thing, except mine are seizures, but pretty much we're going through the same problem. Right, right. Yeah, it's keeping you from living a normal life to to pursue your goals in life. Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm really glad that you're on the show. I'm really glad you got to read the poem to us. Can you tell us a little bit more about the specific poem, what you were going through, and why? Because you only started writing, you said you started writing when you were in high school, junior. Yes. Why did you decide to write about yourself as a five-year-old, and when did you write this? Well, it's because I was just months old when my parents realized that something wasn't right with me. Mm-hmm. I would have fever after fever, and I'm not talking about just a regular fever. My fever would get so out of control that my parents would take me to the emergency room and right away the doctor would grab me and throw me in a box filled up with ice. They would cover me with ice from head to toes. They would leave me there for a couple of hours till my body temperature would get back to normal. And this went on for a couple of years and they would do exam after exam, but everything would come out normal. Mm -hmm. And all they would say to my parents was, as he gets older, it will go away. Mm -hmm. And when I was five, that's when I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Okay. Okay. And that's why at this poem I say this, this kid is only five years old and he's already in pain. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I was really in bad pain, but nobody knew about it. Because mm-hmm. I would still laugh, I would still smile, but they didn't really know what I was actually feeling deep inside. Right. Yeah, that must have been incredibly tough to just like a few months old and already having these problems that the doctors couldn't even diagnose until five years yes. later. That's a long time. Yes, it is. Yeah, especially when during that time when you didn't even have the language, any language to express yourself with. Exactly. Yeah. Do you, hopefully you don't, but do you have memories from when you were that young before yeah. you were five? You know, when I was having a seizure, I could still see and hear who's around me, mm-hmm. but I just can't talk. Mm-hmm. Like when the doctors would ask me, what's your name? Are you okay? Do you take medications? I would have the answer on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. But how these seizures have me so unconscious that I can't even respond. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's been horrible. I'm so sorry yeah. for what you had Thank to go you. through. And when did you write this particular poem? This one, I just wrote it like three months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. It's not too old. Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing it. Was that the first time that you read yes, it? Yes, that was ever the first okay. time. Wow, yeah, because I heard it a couple of months ago. So yeah. Really? Yeah. I had just written it the day I read it at the Poetry Slam. Okay. Wow. It's really tough to kind of go through all of your life and think about. Man, like, it wasn't easy for me at school because I even learned what getting booted was like. Mm. They would laugh at me. Because of my seizures, they didn't want to play or talk to me that because my seizures were contagious. Mm. I would even cry to my mom that I don't want to go to school. Right. But she didn't know why. To her, I was just you know a lazy kid who just doesn't seem to like school. Right. And I'm not going to lie, at times I still hear their voices mm. laughing on my face, mm. telling me that I'm not normal, that if they play with me, I'm going to get them sick. <sighs> Kids. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes adults can be just as cruel, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. Like, when I always played basketball. Mm-hmm. When I got to fifth grade, my brother asked me to play basketball. And, you know, without missing a beat, I said no to him that because I was going to get sick in front of everybody that they were just going to laugh at me. Mm-hmm. But he convinced me to play at first game of rise, and I had a seizure second quarter. Oh, I went wow. to the court. Okay. 
And I remember I was just crying and telling him it was all his fault. But he convinced me to keep playing and um, basketball actually became a distraction for me. And yeah. The moment I was running back and forth on that basketball court, I would forget about my seizures, my medication. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I liked about basketball that I would just forget about. I was just doing myself. Right, right. Yeah, and as we talked about before, you know, part of what brings on seizures is also that pressure, that nervousness. And yes. so it's good to that you had a distraction and good that your brother made you play basketball, yes, right? And I thank him for being there in every game. He supported me. Yeah, nice. You're still doing that. I still go play at the park, but it was just pretty much in high school when I played from fifth grade all the way to my senior year in high school. Okay, okay. It's definitely a good distraction. Do you find that, or did the doctor tell you if the physical exercise is helpful? Well, they've always told me not to run a lot Mm -hmm. and to lift much weight because it could actually cause a seizure too, but I still did it. I thank God it never happened. Right, right. You just have to be careful what yes. you do, right? I, I can imagine weightlifting will be really tough, especially if you have a seizure in the middle. Of yeah. It. Yeah, it could really hurt yourself. So, okay. Thank you so much for explaining and really telling us about your experience and sharing it. Um, no problem. It's really brave of you to, especially having gone through when you went through, yeah. the pressure not only of being sick, but also being afraid of being bullied from when you were getting sick. Have you made friends throughout the years who are more understanding? Because not everybody are such well, a... Nah, I haven't really met nobody that has epilepsy. Mm-hmm. I made any friends that have epilepsy. But in reality, to me, there's no such thing as friends. Oh, really? Yeah. Why do you say that? Because... I was there for all my friends. We would go out and everything. And when they didn't have money, they needed a ride. I was there for them. And when I went broke, that I had to stop working, I was expecting the same in return from them. Mm. And little by little, they just started disappearing on me. Mm. And up to now, it's still the same. And the thing that that tripped me out about this is that one of my oldest brothers, I remember he once came home to me saying that, um, there's no such thing as friends. Wow. And I remember I just laughed at him and told him, well, those are your friends because I know mine wouldn't do that to me. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason that I said it, because how I was there for them, I was honestly expecting the same in return. Right. And now that I look at it, I just say to myself, well, my brother was right the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully not, right? Hopefully it's just that you have to make new friends. And because you have that experience now, you can become even more selective. I guess when you go through good times and bad times, you can sort of see what those friends are really like. But you can make new friends because the world is pretty big and Phoenix is very large and it's got like 5 million people in it. So you can make new friends and then see what happens with them, right? Well, one thing I learned from this is that in reality, you don't need friends nor anyone to make yourself strong. Mm -hmm. It's all amongst ourselves to make the first move. If you want to make a change, start off by making your, your bed. If mm. you made your bed, you have accomplished the first task, it will give you a small sense of pride and will encourage you to do another task and another and another. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, that small task completed turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. Mm. If you can do the little things right, then you will never do the big things right. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely the big things require step by steps, just yeah. like the small things. So if you're able to do small things and you just build small thing on top of small thing, it's sort of like Lego, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Even though in terms of your own accomplishments, obviously you can't expect people to be there to always help you to build what you want to build. But having friends, it's another serves another purpose, right? Yes. There are people that you can confide in. I like having your girlfriend met different. You know, th- this is a more romantic relationship. But then you also have other friends that you can hang out with for different reasons. Yeah. Right? I think you you know you make new friends. You're only twenty six. So. I mean, I do have friends, but not many. Right. It's just that small circle. Yeah, people you can count on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what we all go through, basically, as we get older, is that we realize that some friends that spend with us since we're young, they're not really dependable in certain situations. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, though it's, it's not as severe, I've gone through phases in my life, even now, where I feel like I can't count on my body and I've also had similar experiences where friends are not around when I'm looking for them but the poem that I decided to read with your poem in this podcast is a poem about more the physical limitations and what you can do still even though you're limited by that I'll read that now it's called the state of being words come a knocking a daily visitor Bring news of well-being to familiar ears, tuned to the frequency, eager for the pronouncements of Mercury, who roams to gather the flourishing outside the enclosure, locked by economy, taking circuitous routes, bathed in chance encounters, bringing bouquets of scents, lingering for the collection, swept off to a venture, no matter the body's condition. What made you write that? The reason why I'm in Arizona is because my lungs really don't like the winter. <laughs> the low temperatures, they tend to act up. And it's very debilitating because I would have basically month-long colds or flu. I don't even know which one it is. That you just have to stay home. You can't do too much. Yes. Can't really exert yourself physically very much. But the good thing is that I write poetry, and especially during that time, this past winter, for instance, even though I was sick a lot, I was able to write anyway, and I was able to use my imagination to write. And I found that every time I wrote, I felt better. I felt sort of like when you're playing basketball, I was distracted from the pain of knowing that I can't do much with my body. I can't go out. I can't enjoy my life as I would like to. I can't even go really exercise. So it was very frustrating. But I was able to use the words, my words, and I was able to sort of write figuratively. And I was able to travel through my words and my imagination, which was very helpful. Yes, it is very helpful to write about it. When I first started poetry, all I would write was love poems, heartbroken poems. Mm -hmm. But the moment I got into writing about my life, my seizures, Mm -hmm. my family didn't really support me because they Mm -hmm. thought I was just killing myself more and more. Mm -hmm. But in reality, I was just releasing everything I felt. 
Right, right. It is that sort of relief, right? Yes. It's like finally we're able to say these things, whereas it was always bottled inside us. Yeah, I would cry as I would write. There's times I'm still reading them and I still cry because mm-hmm. in reality, I even ask myself, how am I still alive after everything I've been through? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's true. You kind of wonder how you haven't perished, if not by the illness, by the frustration you felt yes. about the illness. I was actually, um, when I had to stop working, that I couldn't go to school, I couldn't do nothing. My daily routine was be in my room, go to the kitchen, back to my room, to the living room, again in my room, then outside, and once again back in my room. This daily routine went on for three years. Wow. Where I couldn't work, I couldn't do nothing. And I couldn't eat, I couldn't even sleep, and I went to go get checked at the doctor, and he asked me if, if I'm going through personal problems or if I'm depressed about something, and I mm-hmm. said no to him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really believe me, and he actually sent me into counseling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was diagnosed with depression. Right. And I remember getting home telling everybody, this doctor is dumb over here diagnosing me with depression. Mm-hmm. And But the moment I stepped in with the counselor, that she asked me to tell her my life story. And that's when I actually felt even better because mm-hmm. it was depression, how I couldn't work, I couldn't do nothing. All I knew was just to be home. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you heard that we had an episode with Freddie Lopez. Um, we were talking about how physical pain could cause mental trauma and mental illness as well, yes. right? Depression is part of that sometimes because of being physically ill and because we can't really go anywhere to change the scenery. We feel like almost like we're in jail. Exactly. And, and then That's how I felt. Yeah. That's how I felt. And um, what hurt me the most about it when um, I was talking to the counselor that she asked me to release everything I felt, just tell her my story. Mm-hmm. And the moment I told her this, I started crying because mm-hmm. I even heard my own family saying that I was faking my seizures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what hurt me the most was that I heard it from the people that I less expected from. Right, right. You know, why would I be even playing with my seizures or faking them when right. in reality it's my top dream to be seizure-free? Right, right. Yeah, it's really tough with chronic illnesses that even people who know you, who've seen you be sick since you were a little kid, still question the validity of what you're going through, right? Because a lot of something like seizure, something even like what I was going through, just having flu symptoms and such, people always think, oh, it, you're just trying to get attention. Yeah, exactly. And that's the same thing I even heard them saying, because I would have a seizure. Uh, yes, I was unconscious, but I could still hear them mm-hmm. and see who was there. And right. They probably thought I couldn't. Right. And after hearing that, it's just people hate liars. And when after hearing that, I became the biggest liar of all time. When they would ask me, how are you? How do you feel? I would lie and say, I'm fine. I'm okay. And then smile. But in reality, I was not okay. They didn't know how many times I locked myself in my room while having a seizure because I didn't want to worry anyone or take their time away or have them change their plans. Right. I would fall asleep. They would call me a lazy. But that because all I do is sleep. But in reality, they didn't know that I just had a seizure that lasted three to four minutes. And now I'm so weak that I can't even walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's better to be honest and to tell the truth. But... Mm-hmm. I prefer to lie. Yeah, it's 
Well, it's not like you just lie, right? Because you feel like even if you tell the truth, it doesn't matter because they will think of you as a liar anyway because they think you're doing it for attention. Yeah, but you know, only I know what I feel inside. Right, right. Yeah, illnesses, there are not, it's not like somebody cut you. Yes. People can see the wound. Whereas something like epilepsy, something that's inside that's not manifest that's not clearly visible once people sort of get used to it then they think of you as a burden first because there's nothing that we can do nothing that any of us can do i felt the same with what i was going through because for years they couldn't diagnose what i have there are still aspects of what i'm going through that people can't diagnose and i didn't know what it was and it's just frustrating because they think, oh, you're just trying to avoid doing legit things in life. Yeah. Same thing with me. Like When I had to apply for disability, I wasn't too happy. Because, mm -hmm. honestly, I start off, I don't like being at home, and I like to earn my things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will tell me, you're lucky, you don't get to work, this and that, but it's not good to be on disability because right, right. you only get a certain amount of income monthly. Right. And you got to make that money yeah. last all month. and. You can't really do much, and you're just frustrated being stuck at home 24-7. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not like you're given enough money that you can travel, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know. And, and that was one of my lines, because you know, I can't go to places that I want to go to, and I just feel like I'm stuck. And sometimes both you and I, when we're in so much pain that we can't even leave our own houses or even rooms, yes so weak that the only thing we see are the four walls around us and our beds. The only travel that we get to do is in our mind. Yes, exactly. It's pretty hard living like that. Yeah, it really is. And that's why I'm I'm thankful, and I see you write as well. I mean, I, did you write even when you were having seizures? Yes. Okay. So yes, I've always ran, and just showing my poems at a poetry slam is just recently but I've always ran. Okay. okay. Yes. Yeah. So was that helpful at least? Yes, it is real helpful and at times that I still now that I'm seizure free and I'm reading them, I still cry at times. It's just first I would cry tears of sadness, but now I cry tears of joy. Because mm. yeah. I reached my time goal to be seizure free. Okay. And I would like to stand up there for other people who can't do it for themselves. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And you also learn to sort of live within the limitations, right? Yeah. And see what you can do. And both of us, at least we can write. We can use our minds, our imaginations to create a world that may not exist physically, but it still exists. And it allows us to go to places that other people can't visit. Sometimes. That's correct. I actually have a poem that I wrote as like an inspiration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where it's just like you said right now that some wounds are visible and some aren't mm -hmm. it's like when you see a guy on crutches or a guy in a wheelchair right away you know he is wounded mm -hmm. but there are many people that are wounded but you can't see it no yeah like me for example when people see me have a convulsion all they see is a seizure mm -hmm. but what they don't know is that deep inside i'm wounded i'm in pain mm -hmm. frustration headache fatigue sadness anger insomnia confusion mm -hmm. but most of all fear I always felt that with these seizures I couldn't do anything and that I wasn't anything. Mm -hmm. But one day I realized that I was wrong. I can actually be a blessing for others. I can save their life with just one encounter. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And I will use these seeders every day for the rest of my life. Every day I'm going to impact someone's life. Every day I'm going to empower someone. Every day I'm going to inspire someone. Mm-hmm. Every day I'm going to encourage someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I suffered epilepsy for 21 years. And I always let it beat me. Mm-hmm. But I learned that the only way for me to beat it was to learn how to accept it. Right. And I did. And I beat it. Mm-hmm. And if I made it through, why can't they? Yeah, yeah. We all have our own well, crosses to bear, you know, so to speak. And sometimes, just as it's difficult for other people to see why you can't, or they see you as a bother because you have epilepsy and they don't know how to cure you, and they just see it as, oh God, if he would just go away, it would make yeah. us our lives so easy. We also have to apply that empathy onto other people, right? And yeah. say, well, yeah, I went through this, but I can understand you're also going through something really tough, and maybe I can't solve it for you. Maybe you can't even solve it for yourselves, but sometimes it's just a matter of, sometimes you need the time. Sometimes yeah, you need the time to Yeah, and it's just that people, the majority of the people like to see results right away. Yeah, it's true, yeah. We don't really have the patience for long-term yeah, things. Know, and in reality, you know, you never know. It could take days, months, or maybe even years to realize for you to beat what you're going through. Right, right. And, you know, it took me 21 years. Yeah, yeah, which is a long time. And you just got to have be patient. Yeah. And faith. Yeah, you do. You do need a lot of faith, whether in a God or in the possibility that there could be an invention, there could be a scientist. Big discovery. And I, honestly, I was always against that. I never had faith mm. that because I always thought that I was never going to beat this. Mm. And now that I look back at it, I was wrong the whole time. Yeah, but you know. But it's all to where you set your mind. Yeah, it's true. At the same time, you know, when you're inside it, when you don't see anything that will give you some evidence of even the possibility of rehabilitation, then. Yeah, it's hard to to have faith sometimes. And the only way I, I learned to beat it was to learn how to accept it. And that's the problem we all have. We can't accept our mistakes, our problems. We decide to walk away from them. Yeah, we try to get away from it and see how far we can go, but we're kind of tied to it, right? Yes. I really appreciate you talking about this with me. So for people who, besides the people on the Epilepsy Foundation page who get to read your poems, how can they go and follow you? How can they go listen to you? They can follow me on Facebook. I'm under Francisco Torres. Okay. And if you don't mind sending me the link, I can can put it on the episode notes so people can link to it. Is that the only social media you're on? Yes. I'm going to open up my Instagram. Okay. Yeah, I'll send it to you too. Okay, please, please do. And in terms of physically, if they just go to Phoenix Poetry Slam, would they see you? Yes, they'll see me there, Phoenix Poetry Slam. You go there pretty regularly? Yes. Great, wonderful. And thank you very much for your time for discussing this with me. Did you have anything else that you want to share with the audience before we go? Well, I just, to start off, I want to thank you for opening this new door for me, for giving me this opportunity, taking your time to hear my story, which which was always my top goal to pass my story around to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love hearing people's stories. Whenever I go to these poetry events and I hear a poem, I'm like, there's a story behind it. I want to know the story. So I appreciate you coming to share with me. Thank you.
And that concludes the Sunday, May 19th episode of Poets and Muses. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. And again, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our SoundCloud Poets and Muses page. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.